welcome back, guys. So we're going to, um, I'm gonna go over day two objectives, but before we actually get into the day two topics, I'm gonna go back to yesterday's. There was two more responsibilities of providers that I didn't get to go through. Um, and then thinking about everything we talked about yesterday, um, there was some things that came to mind that I kind of addressed, but I didn't fully go into details. Um, so I wanted to spend some minutes talking about, I believe it might be about five area, four areas, and then we'll start with the actual content for today. Um, but just for today's objectives, it's going to be to explain process for enrolled AOT clients, such as the enrollment, um, what we call graduation and disenrollment of clients, um, navigating our AOT other level of care, which is ERS, explain AOT specific measurements and describe um, provider expectations for all enrolled AOT clients. Um, so we're going back to yesterday's topic was uh, Welfare Institution Code 5346F. Um, I read this slide yesterday, so I'm just gonna kind of um, give you a, a quick little summary of it. It is for uh, individuals who, the 5346F is for individuals who have already been court ordered into the AOT program. Providers are able to request the, from the court to order 5346F. Um, it is for an individual who is informed that they are court ordered into treatment and are not compliant with the treatment plan, um, as well as that they are considered to be deteriorating. So we're asking for the court to issue an order that um, is allowing us to hospitalize, involuntarily hospitalize the individual um, under section 5150. So these orders cannot exceed 72 hours without a 5150 being implemented. Unless a 5150 is implemented, then um, the amount of time can stay longer as the clock starts with the 5150. Um, if at any time during the 72 hours in which the hospital has now evaluated the individual to determine if they do or do not meet 51 criteria, if there's any medical needs in which the person needs to possibly be hospitalized, they will need to release the individual if there is no criteria and if the individual is not willing to stay voluntarily. Um, failure to comply with an, AO, with an AOT treatment order um, is not grounds alone for this order. So we do need the deterioration of the individual. Um, also with that, if an individual is, um, let's say, meeting with the client, but refusing all other forms of services, um, they're not taking medication or, or not willing to meet with the doctor, um, they're not willing to meet with the case manager and, and there is beliefs that they really need a case management assistance, maybe like a hundred, homeless individual who might have some medical issues and we really wanna get them off the streets and, and get them attended medically, but they're refusing it, but they do meet with a therapist to some degree. Um, it's kind of hard to prove a, a lack of compliance then with treatment if there at least is one ongoing type of service. Um, so this is really for somebody who's kind of not agreeable at all. And um, we do believe there's a deterioration. Although we're saying that they need to be hospitalized, we're indicating that a 5150 um, is not, they do not necessarily meet the criteria at that moment for a 5150. Um, so we're asking for this hospitalization in substitute of trying to hospitalize them under a 5150. But 
if they do meet criteria for 5150, providers should go forward with hospitalizing them under section 5150 like they normally would and not try to wait for this order. So what a provider will need to do when they want to make this request, um, they do need to provide a written letter to the court in addition to the progress report or it could be a standalone if we're trying to add the client to the calendar. Um, the letter should indicate the client's lack of compliance with treatment, the team's efforts to try to re-engage the client back into services, um, the client's response to that re-engagement, de a description of the client's deterioration, and I always encourage historical information um, related to the, the deterioration. So sometimes we have clients who have patterns that lead to them becoming violent or aggressive or even um, harming themselves. And so that client is starting that pattern but haven't fully got to the end when they're actually doing something. We want to show the court that they have this pattern and you know where they are in this pattern. So it would be good to provide any historical information um, that runs along with what the concerns are. At the very end of the letter, it should indicate that the provider is asking specifically for a 5346F order. Um, I just indicated that this request does not need to come on a date in which the client has a progress hearing. So if the client has um, is scheduled for a hearing in about a month and, and you really feel like something needs to be done now, there needs to be an intervention, then we can always ask for the court to add the client to the calendar, but we will need the letter for that purpose. Um, once an order, um, the order is not automatic. We do not always get um, the court to grant us this order when we request it. We kind of just figure out how to move along depending on what the, the court does. Um, so if it is granted, the provider would be given the order in court on Friday if they are present and it was um, done the time that they're able to get it before court is over. If not, they'll get it Monday morning. I send out any orders Monday as well as court reminders on Monday. Um, the provider, what the provider will next need to do is uh, locate the client and detain them with the help of law enforcement if necessary. Um, the treatment team that goes out does need to have an LPS person um, with them because only an LPS person can implement this order. Um, so you will need to examine the individual to determine if 5150 criteria is met and complete that application if so. Um, the provider will also need to locate a bed and make arrangements. We mainly work with LA County hospitals as it relates to these orders. Um, it does not need to be LA County hospitals, but at this time, it does need to be an LPS facility though. Um, but at this time, our three county facilities, all of you, um, LAC, USC, and Harbor, are the main ones who have been working with us. For the most part, um, their staffing and their doctors are well aware of this order and know what we're asking of them. We haven't done too many with the private hospitals, although we have had some success here and there. Um, many of them don't really understand the order yet, um, and it's not always as smooth. Um, smooth process when we have to send to them. So we mainly focus on county facilities. Um, so again, you guys need to set up 
um, locate a bed and make arrangements for transportation. The provider should accompany, or one of the providers should accompany the individual to the hospital. Not that you need to go with them in the ambulance, but you should accompany so that when you get there, you can, you know, provide any details. If you did do a 5150 application, provide any details to them about it and also inform them about the 5346F order that the client has court the upcoming, you know, whichever day it might be um, and kind of explain the situation. So to, that's the, that is the process for the implementation of this order, but we have some ways in which we go about working with this order um, because of what the hospitals have asked of us. So. For the most part, we implement this order on Wednesdays. Um, again, I kind of talked about it yesterday. We like to implement these orders on Wednesdays, so that way, if they have court on Friday, we might get the hospital to assist with us with getting the client to court. So they can go in front of the judge and the judge can talk about whatever these concerns are to which led to this order with the client. Um, if we do prior to Wednesday, we lose that 72-hour window when we have chances that the client will be out of the hospital before their court date. Um, we don't like to do Thursdays because, again, we want to give the hospital enough time to do their examination and if, identify if there's any risk of them transporting or having the client involved in the court, um, in the court hearing, uh, as well as a, kind of determine how the client is presenting a, and transportation of that is needed. So. We try to work with Wednesdays. Um, in addition, the hospitals actually really do like a 5150 application to go with the client. Um, so if it is possible, then send a 5150 application. Sometimes these um, holds are, the criteria is there, but it might be a weaker criteria, but it is there. If there really is no criteria, then you just send the client on the order itself. Um, but that is where it helps you guys going to the hospital with them because you can share with the staff, um, the nursing triage and even the DMH liaison, why we're doing this and what the concerns are and, and the behaviors or symptoms that you guys are, uh, have been experiencing with the client so that they can have a better understanding of you know, why we're doing this process at this moment. Um, I think that's kind of everything. Um, so this is a sample letter of uh, 5346 requests. Again, it's just going to identify um, clients' non-compliance with treatment, your guys' efforts to re-engage them, their response, and then the symptoms and behaviors that have been happening and then any historical facts that might fit into those symptoms. The very last paragraph is what I would like to bring to your attention. Um, this, this should be on all letters. Um, I'm going to read it to you and hopefully I can see it on my own screen. Uh, it is in my clinical opinion that Mr. Doe is in need of involuntary admission to a hospital for evaluation, and I therefore request that he be taken into custody by persons designated under Section 5150 and be transported or caused to be transported to a hospital to be held up to 72 hours for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider to determine if the ALT client is in need of treatment persistent to Section 5150. I am requesting that the court order hospitalization for John Doe, ALT client persistent to welfare institution code 5346F. So we would like that last paragraph to make sure it makes it into these letters. So we indicate to the court what we really are asking for. So this letter would be sent to the AOTFSP coordinator, which again, it is me at this time. 
um, and I provide it to our council members so that it can be filed with the court and the request can be made um, at Friday in the court. I asked for these letters to get to me no later than Wednesday afternoon um, so that way we have enough time to process and figure out our next steps to make sure everyone's on board. This is what the order looks like. So again, on a, on a top corner, it does say 72-hour detention persistent to welfare institution code 5346F. Um, it is indicating, sorry. Um, it is indicating that the client has been ordered into the program, that the client was noticed of the order to participate in treatment. They failed to comply, that the provider has tried to solicit their compliance with treatment, and that the client is in need of involuntary treatment. Um, what the order itself is ordering is for the client to be transported to an LPS facility for examination for the hospital to take the client into their custody and to examine the client it should not exceed 72 hours um, the, for an evaluation for LPS conservatorship. And again, this won't be appropriate for every client, but for those that it is. Um, the next order is that medication can be given um, involuntary for emergency reasons. Um, and then the hospital is to provide a record of, um, the hospital is to provide the client's record within 72 hours of discharge to the provider. And then lastly, for the client to be transported for their court hearing. Uh, this is a template of our progress report. I will talk about this more um, tomorrow, um, not tomorrow, next Wednesday on the third day of the training, we'll go over what really needs to be in it, um, as well as do an exercise um, on you guys kind of working on writing one up. So as I had mentioned earlier, um, after we got done with yesterday's training, I had a few things that I felt like I may have touched a little base on, um, but I didn't go into better, I didn't feel I went into better detail about them. So I would like to talk about them right now. And then I believe maybe two of these, I didn't really talk about at all. Um, so ALT client categories, we have two types of clients in our program, which, which again, I hinted at throughout yesterday. We have voluntary clients and we have those that are court ordered. The voluntary clients um, from outreach and engagement with our outreach team, they have agreed to participate in the program. When they were handed off to the providers, they continue to agree to participate in the program. And through their course of treatment, they remain um, agreeable on a voluntary level. So those are our voluntary clients. Then we have our court order clients um, who can become court ordered at two times. So again, they disagreed with services. They did not want services when our teams were outreaching to them. So we moved forward the court process and it was petition was granted. They are now court ordered into AOT. The other range of the court ordered clients um, were agreeable to services while our outreach team reached out to them. They were able to be handed off to the providers. They got enrolled in treatment, but somewhere in the course of treatment within AOT, um, within the AOT program time window, they became non-compliant with treatment and the providers requested for the client to be petitioned. Petition was granted. They're now court ordered into AOT and their clock within AOT um, restarts. So they may have been in treatment for four months, had two months left on the clock, but when the petition is granted, the clock restarts and the six months begin again. Um, the next 
topic was uh, COVID, how it has affected AOT. Um, on, a, on a court ordered side, we currently are not having our clients come into court when they have progress hearings. We're utilizing a video conference and they are all appearing through what we're calling, what the court calls WebEx. Um, when it has to do with their petition, um, the, their petition hearing or their extension hearing, which we'll talk about in a um, we'll talk about tomorrow. I mean, sorry, next Wednesday. Um, they do need to come in. Um, it is very difficult to have a WebEx appearance for the petition hearing, um, as we our counsel, one is appearing in court, one is not appearing in court. And to have the video heard and the telephones heard, it's very hard to kind of piece everything together. So we are having clients come in for their petition hearings and their extension hearings, but the progress hearings are being done through WebEx. Um, in regards to services though, and how COVID has affected AOT, initially um, it, it, it did affect us. Right now though, we're kind of back to business as normal. Our providers are expected to go out, do the handoff in a field, meet with the clients and start services. Um, some of our clients are receptive and are able to engage through telehealth, but a majority of these clients are not. Um, is it due, some is due to their symptoms, some is just lack of trust with providers, um, and others, you kind of got to track them down. So trying to do telehealth with these clients is, is very difficult at this time. Um, so a lot of our services are still being done in the field. Um, again, according to standard, um, within the standards that we have set with utilizing PPE and, and social distancing, but again, it's being done in the field. Um, in regards to referrals, as I had mentioned uh, yesterday, when an FSP provider is given a referral, um, they do not have the ability to decline the referral. The referral is appropriate for every provider and they must begin services with the individual. Um, one thing I did not get to talk about yesterday that I realized was uh, private insured clients. The AOT program, if a county has an AOT program, they're indicating that they're gonna take every client who meets the AOT criteria. This includes individuals that have private insurance. Um, as a department, we are still trying to figure out how to work around the private insurance and figure out the best ways, but providers are gonna be given referrals for clients with private insurance and they do need to work on trying to get authorization for the FSP services. Um, they need to make their appropriate attempts to engage their insurance companies, talk about the FSP services they would be providing and trying to get authorization, working with the client or families to get the insurance companies you know, to provide an authorization. Um, if we do not get the authorization, we have steps that we are trying to take. So providers are not able to close a referral due to the client's private insurance or due to the private insurance indicating that they're not going to authorize and to refer the client back to them. Typically, these clients are not engaged with their insurance companies for a reason. So we're not just telling them, go back to your insurance company. We are trying to figure out ways to um, get them into the services. Uh, We've had some success with some, others we haven't, but it, it's a work in progress in every case. It, it goes case by case. So providers just need to bring it back. If they run into that wall where they do get a decline, they just need to 
bring it back to um, AOT and we talk about what the next steps will be. Um, but, the but the provider does not close them out. Uh, in regards to handoff, um, it was indicating that typically it's just one handoff. Um, if client consents and you guys move forward and you guys continue with your process and our outreach team steps back, there can be more than one handoff, but there, um, these are for very special circumstances. Um, client was declining you guys when you went out. So you'll go back out again with our outreach team and hoping, you know, at the next contact, the client does agree. Um, or maybe, um, the client might have a lot of paranoia or a lot of anxiety and it's best for maybe the team to both teams to engage the client again another one or two times to kind of ease the client and allow the client to let go of the outreach team and move forward with the FSP provider. Another third reason might be um, the client was under the influence. You really couldn't get the client to agree to anything. So you guys are going to go back out together again another time. Um, but again, typically one handoff is enough and the provider should be able to move forward um, with the client as their own case and our team stepping back from interacting with the client. Um, if, the, if the first handoff does occur and the provider begins working with the client and say enrollment doesn't happen for some reason, but they're still, they're outreaching to the client and they're having some difficulty with the client, they can request for the outreach team to come back. That request will be done through the AOT FSB coordinator and not just more for tracking purposes and to make sure who's really engaged and who's, um, who needs to follow up. Um, so when it, the request is made to the AOT FSB coordinator, then the FSB coordinator will speak to the supervisors of the two office and figure out if the team, if it's appropriate for the team to kind of go back out and what needs to be done. With the request for the outreach team to assist with re-engagement, it does not mean that the outreach team is taking the case back or being the lead. They're there to support the provider to try to get the client to re-engage, but not to take over the case again. And um, it, it does remain with the provider. Um, in regards to provider's assistance with the initial petition, I talked about some of these points a little bit, but I didn't go to them depth. So, um, if the provider, if the client has been enrolled and the provider is the one who requests for the petition, um, again, DMH handles the petition, but there are some things that we need that provider to assist us with. Um, one is that when the client is on the calendar and has been informed about their court date, we need the providers to check in with them to see if they're going to attend court and assist and talk to them about transportation if there's any needs for transport to court. Um, the second is we need the providers to provide their progress notes and any supporting documents that relates to maybe hospitalizations um, or if by chance you guys had police reports for some reason, anything that relates to what we're reporting in the declaration for the reasons that the client meets criteria. Um, those supporting documents, because the petition is written based off of your guys' documents, not ours, because we haven't seen the client in it how many months it's been since we outreached them. So really the declaration is, is being based off of all the material you guys already provided us. Um, so we would need you guys um, to provide all your notes to the county council and to the public defender. Uh, the AOTFSB coordinator is attached to that email just to keep record that we got everything we needed for that court hearing. Um, 
the provider also will need to bring a hard copy of those documents they emailed to court for the hearing so that they can be um, placed in evidence for the hearing. The documents are returned back to the provider following the hearing. Um, sorry, when you email those documents to County Council and Public Defender, um, it would be the week of the hearing, not prior. And then um, we would need for um, whoever was witness to the event. So if you guys, um, if there was a threat, if we're trying to petition them based off of threats, not because they have any hospitalizations that meet the criteria, but because of threatening behaviors, we will need somebody who was witness to that. And if your staff was the witness, we will need them to testify. That That is when we might need their assistance in testifying. Um, and then we always want somebody to be in court, period, even if it doesn't involve having to testify, just to be there to know what's going on, to answer any questions, and there might need to be a question answered, and then to provide support, um, and then to ensure that, so if the court orders the client to participate in AOT, we can say, this is your provider. So if they've been disengaged from you guys, we can pinpoint, this is your provider, this is who you're going to be working with, this is the agency they belong to. Um, so any questions and answers regarding that material and we will also answer at this time the questions that we didn't get to get to yesterday. So the questions from yesterday, the first one is, can you clarify again what the process is for homeless clients when they're being served a notice for a hearing? So we're going to have to um, assist with the notification of them. So just the serving of the clients by an actual server just actually began. Originally, up until maybe a month, three weeks ago, um, we have always served them and then served them with the assistance of our providers. So if the client is already linked to you guys, um, yourselves and our psychologists, maybe one of our other team members will go out and um, you guys will tell us where the client is, meet with the client, and we will provide them with the notification of hearing and then complete the paperwork for proof of service that they were served. Um, you guys as a provider will be involved only if you guys were the requesters of the petition because only one of our team members is going to go out to do that notification. And so we will go out with you guys so that way it is, it's a team, at least two people are approaching the client. Great. Um, and then how is voluntary AOT any less restrictive of a program than voluntary FSP? If both are voluntary, it's unclear why AOT is needed. When a transformation comes, the treatment will be the same. Um, at the moment with our providers, we have a higher expectation of the amount that they are seeing the clients. So voluntary was seen a little differently to what we were expecting our providers to do at this time, those who have contracts with us. With the transformation, the um, that's to come, all providers should be providing the same level of care. Um, so that would be a little different, but on the voluntary for clients who are voluntary in AOT, they, they met the criteria for our program and basically, the, you know, the, the long, the long is that they were non-compliant and they have a long history of non-compliance and usually that means that FSP was provided to them and they were never agreeable. So usually how we're getting these clients in our program is with letting them know that there is a court process that they can be ordered into treatment and, and there's a risk that that's where it can lead to. So the clients who are on a voluntary level could always become court ordered at any point. And we do have a good number of clients who do 
at some point become court ordered. Um, but I think we keep them within the AOT to make sure that they're staying compliant and they're following through. And in a bit, we're going to go over the expectations for clients like to graduate from our program and even to be disenrolled from the program. Um, I just think, and I guess Linda, you can chime in um, on this. With the voluntary level within AOT, it's when the future comes of the transformation, it's not going to be so much about the treatment, but more just the ability to, of the monitoring of these cases and the ability to utilize the court process if it ever needs to come up. If they walk away from AOT, the court process is no longer available to you. You're going to have to go through the whole process of um, referring them back to us and us determining if criteria is met. I, I was going to talk about this uh, in a second, but um, when a client is in AOT, they're in AOT, no matter if it's a month, a year later, and their criteria is not there, we don't dismiss them for their criteria, for them, for the criteria window running out of time. Once they're with us, they are with us until we believe they're ready to graduate and step down or Unfortunately, if we come, if we lose them because they become their whereabouts become unknown or something, but um, for some clients, because we have that window of 36 months and 48 months for them to meet um, those three specific areas of hospitalization, forensic, mental health, and threats. If those if those incidents run outside of our window while we are treating them, we don't close them to say they no longer meet criteria for AOT. We keep them in the program till we actually believe they're ready to step down out of AOT. But if we, but if we were to close them because they're voluntary and just become regular FSP, you lose that ability now because you're going to have to resurface the criteria. Um, and so maybe that, I don't think I'm answering this the best way and I'm struggling with that answer, but that's kind of the best um, answers I could kind of give at the moment. Other, the, the next question kind okay. of goes hand in hand of the black robe effect. They wanted to know a little more, bit more about that. Um, so the black robe effect is just, um, you know, having to be in court and being in front of a judge. And so for a good number of clients, having to go to court, be in front of the judge, having the court monitoring them is enough to get them to do what they need to do in regards to treatment participating in services. Um, so th that is what we mean by the black robe effect. And again, it works for majority of all the clients that we bring into the courtroom. There is a handful of clients in which it does not work for. And usually we probably know already that the black robe effect is not going to work on these individuals because typically they probably have already been in front of the courtroom and it didn't work. Um, but again, we're doing our process. And then uh, what are other possible recommendations that psychologists will make for court if the client doesn't seem to fit criteria or would benefit from AOT? I think in the sense that like you think AOT would be a good fit, but they don't necessarily perfectly fit into that criteria is my sense of the question. Um, but you said... In recommendations for court? Yeah, that the psychologist would make. Um, so in, in regards to court, we only have the one recommendation. Um, and it, it so um, trying to think of this question. Um, 
the AOT program itself, there's only two forms of treatment. It's FSP or ERS. And again, ERSs have some restrictions. So if a client cannot go into ERS, even if we think ERS is best, um, it falls on FSP. And I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, that is the two levels we have. What we can introduce is substance abuse treatment. Um, to some degree, we, we can request it. It cannot we can't, it cannot be forced, but it can be requested um, when it comes to the courts. But we only have two levels of form of treatment, no matter what, if the client is going to be in the AOT program. Hoping that might answer that. No, I, as a clinician that doesn't work in AOT, it makes sense to me. <laughs> um, and Let's see, we have a question of what happens from this. We answered all the questions from yesterday, so we're on to today. What happens when petitions have been exhausted and the client still refuses treatment? Besides the hospitalizations, are there any consequences for declining services? Okay, I'm gonna talk about this. Um, it goes with one of the other points. Uh, so, the what we do in AOT um, is we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can, which basically means get to the point of a petition if we need to get to a petition and getting it court ordered. Um, as long as we have all the criteria still, we will move forward with the petition. Um, the petitions are set for six months. Um, we cannot we don't we do not cut it short of six months unless the client um, is conserved. Uh, is incarcerated or we've lost track of the client. It's the only typical reasons we, we pull out before the six months. Otherwise, we always carry it all the way through. Um, a client can, of their own free will, not engage in treatment with us even after the court order has been given. And we on our end, as of the provider, just keeps try, trying with the client and we come in for hearings and you know judges will admonish. Um, when we get to that six month interval um, and it comes time to make a decision about what should we do next, typically if there was really no movement with the client and making any form of progress, we do let it go. We, we allow the petition to terminate on the termination date, which then means we allow the provider to close the case. Um, we are closing the case in that as a department, as a provider, we have done everything we can at this time to provide the client with voluntary services, to get the client to engage in treatment, to, to participate. And the client on their own ha has failed to participate because they are not willing, they are not ready to participate in services. But we have done everything we can on an outpatient voluntary level to get their cooperation and compliance with treatment, which is why we always move towards a petition um, as long as the criteria remains. So that way we can say we have done all we can at this time. Um, so, you know, if anybody comes back and questions or, you know, this moves up chains of higher management, we can show your records, our records, we've done all we can at this time for this individual. Um, without it possibly ending up for conservatorship. And again, not every client qualifies for a conservatorship. Um, so those are the steps we take and, and we 
we wait it out so we can say we did it all we can. And then Linda already clarified this a little bit about um, private insurance being an ongoing problem, but are contractors able to bill indigent funds for an AOT client when the private insurance does not send an ad adjudication for services rendered? So my understanding from talking with um, those who handle um, the financial stuff in the department and the billing for you guys and providers um, is that indigent funds are not allowed to be used for clients who have private insurance. Um, indigent funds might be able to be utilized as it relates to services that are not covered, which is like the case management services. Um, that is still a discussion, but therapeutic services, which would be covered by private insurance, um, indigent funds cannot cover them. And the last question is, how do you determine the criteria that the client, quote, must benefit from AOT? How is that criteria determined in advance? Okay, so I gave the definition earlier that the DMH um, came up with before the, before, while they were developing AOT. Um, and basically it is a review of the clinical records and a review of the client's history um, to determine if we believe that they're gonna benefit. We wanna see if the, the diagnosis that they have, if it's a diagnosis that can be treatable, if it's a diagnosis that can fit an evidence, that can be treated by an evidence-based practice. Um, and if in history, client was treatable, if they did do well on medication, if they did do well with services, um, but you know they just, they cycled back and, and now they're not doing good. So if there's a history of them being able to be treated, um, and that they could be treated based off of their diagnosis, then we indicate a likelihood to uh, that they can benefit. Now, AOT is a program that does have men that does have people who cycle through, and you know we close them for different reasons, and then they they come back again. So sometimes, depending on what some of those reasons are that we close the cases, we take that also into consideration if we re, re accept referrals back. Um, there are some cases, not many, but there are that we have not reaccepted back the second or maybe the third time they were referred to us because at that point we have determined at that moment the client is not likely to benefit from AOT. Thank you. That's all the questions at this time. Um, so the next section is regarding uh, the process for those clients who are enrolled, and this is going to talk about enrollment, extensions, disenrollment, and graduation from the AOT program. Um, in regards to enrollment, it's kind of really short. Just um, again, a reminder that the enrollment of an individual should, should occur slightly after your referral and after the hand, either when the handoff occurs or slightly after the handoff. We're not asking, we don't ask and, and we don't want providers to provide a lengthy outreach and engagement as the clients have already been engaged. So enrollment should be taking place following the referral to you guys. Um, this is a little different. So if I have AOT providers on this training, please disregard this as we're still doing our normal process. But um, as the future comes, we're gonna need providers to inform us of their enrollment date. I know when you guys do SRTS, it's just an authorization date, not necessarily in indicating enrollments, but we do need the enrollment dates within 24 hours of when the clients have been enrolled. Our program keeps track of pretty much a lot that is going on with all our clients on a voluntary and court ordered side. 
Um, we, we get a lot of questions from different areas, law enforcement, uh, border supervisors, different department, different division heads within our department questioning us about clients. And so we kind of need to know where our clients stand in the process of AOT. And so we do ask that all enrollment dates are given to us. We also have um, a state report we need to do. So knowing where our clients are and where they are in the process is very important to us. So the enrollment date comes to the AOT FSB coordinator, just needs to be sent via email. Um, so extensions, um, this is a term we use in regards to any client who's in our program past the initial 180 days. Um, again, the, the AOT program on a voluntary and on a court order level is for 180 days initially. A client can be extended past that date. Um, Typically, the extensions within the court and on a voluntary level is for six months. On the voluntary level, it does not need to include, you do not need to go the whole extra six months. So maybe you just needed three more months with them. You're going to be approved for six, but you can request a graduation or disenrollment at the three months. Um, but again, after the initial 180 days and any and after any other six month period, you will need to request for an extension for the client to remain in AOT. Um, so providers around the five month mark should begin kind of reviewing the, the client's case and deciding what they think is the next best thing for the client. Should they be extended? Should they graduate? Um, you know, are they ready to step down to the next level of care for when the six months come? Um, the six month, it's, it's not a, a hard rule. Like you gotta drop the client and be done with them at the 180 days. No, we want to know what's going on. We want to have a plan when we get to that 180 days, but maybe your staff was out. You guys forgot the date. That is fine. You continue on with your treatment and then you, you, you provide us with the update and what you guys want to, what you're recommending. Um, you don't stop just because you reach the 180 days. You keep going until, you know, we figure out the plan. Um, what you are to submit to the AOT FSP coordinator is a summary of treatment with your rationale to why you want to extend the client and a copy of the client CCP. Um, and then we'll review it and provide um, approval if appropriate. If we think that the client actually should be stepped down, then we'll initiate that. Um, this might be a little different with the transformation because it, now, you know, the door is open for more providers within the way the program works right now. We only have 300 slots. And so sometimes for some cases, especially if they've been in the program more than a year or so, we might be like, you know, we really need to consider stepping them down. We, we need the ability of the slot. Um, so it might be a little different as, as we grow now with providers, but um, we still look for the approval to make sure that we should be keeping these clients at this level or if we should be stepping them down. Um, so reasons to extend. Um, these are some reasons, but it's not limited to the following. The client continues to deteriorate. The client has continued to have hospitalizations in the last six months, incarcerations in the last six months. There have been frequent calls to FSP provider or responses by Smart Med or PMRT. There's been no progress towards our treatment goals. Um, the report with the treatment team just began at the end of the six months or medication compliance just began at the end of six months. 
um, or there's recurrent or upcoming life changes such as housing, job or placement. Um, so if there's any signs of, of crisis or deterioration, we definitely do not want to drop these clients down. We want them to be extended. Um, if there is no progress towards the treatment goes to, we, we want to give them more time before we try to step them down to the next level. Because again, these are clients who have a history of non-compliance. So we want to make sure we, we get them going and are at a good pace of following treatment and making progress before we decide any next level of care for them. Um, so since we're, our treatment is for six months increments, um, and again, clients are non-compliant. Um, their symptoms may be making it difficult to, to work with the providers. Some of our cases um, really at five months, four or five months, that they're barely coming around to their providers. They're barely letting the providers in, barely kind of start, you know, letting them stay for more than 15 minutes to talk to them. So really, if that rapport is barely beginning, you're barely making progress, you want to extend. You don't want to, you know, say it's the next level when you hit the six months. The same with the med compliance. Sometimes it does take that six month window to get them to really start complying. And so we want to keep them on board. And with the life changes, the same way, um, you know, these clients have had difficulty with treatment. And so if they're having an upcoming life change, such as um, they're going to move into somewhere or they just started a job, we want to hold them on. And again, you're going to be granted six months, but you can close it out at the three. You can ask for closure at three months once we know that, okay, client, you know, they've been working, they're doing good, they seem to be adjusting or they're adjusting to their housing. And so then you can, you know, request for whatever the next plan is um, at three months. Maybe you don't need to go the full six months. So this is a sample of the letter. And again, it's just identifying the areas that um, you want to identify the areas that you're going to target with the extension. You want to identify um, any of the progress the client has already made. Um, again, talk about their insight. So for some clients, really the biggest issue is they still lack a lot of insight about their mental health and, and, and their need to participate in services or take meds. Um, identify the level of compliance for clients. Um, and then provide any information about the current frequency of services or types of services. So you're just kind of provide outlining the rationale to why we're kind of going to extend the client. Uh, so graduation, um, I've been saying the word a lot and in the NAOT program, we use it. We want to indicate that clients who have been successful and are doing well and able to step down to the next level that they have graduated from the AOT program is, is how we like to ref, refer to it. And we use that in the courtroom and we use that on a voluntary level as well. Um, so criteria for them to graduate is um, they've met some or all of their treatment goals. There's been no hospitalizations, no incarcerations, no police contact over the last six months. Um, there's been medication compliance for six months. We, we don't need to stick to that rule of six months, but you know we really want to see a, a good compliance with meds if meds are, are, are part of the treatment plan. Um, their willingness to continue with mental health services. Again, majority of these clients should continue on with some form of treatment. Um, just doing six months or a year um, is not enough for them. They're probably, these are types of clients that are going to need ongoing form of treatment, if it might just be med support um, or maybe some therapeutic services. But we want to see that they're able to identify and acknowledge that they, they 
they need to continue and they are willing to continue. Um, some other small minor things that might relate more to treatment goals is, you know, that they secured state, stable housing, hygiene proficiency, um, their meaningful activities they're engaged in, they have a financial stability, develop, development of support network, um, substance use. We have a lot of clients that have co-occurring disorders. Um, we don't expect for them to completely stop using in order to graduate from the program, but we're hoping that if they're at the point to graduate and, and they're meeting all these other areas, that their substance use at least is not interrupting their life anymore. Um, and possibly even gainful employment. That's a big one for us. Um, we don't have many clients, again, because of the level of these clients who are able to um, gainfully, gainfully gain employment um, while they're in the AOT program, but we have a handful. Um, and, you know, so those kinds, we definitely step down. And usually those are the clients that we probably don't step down to FSP as we which is our current process, we usually might set them down to wellness or even to um, just a regular outpatient program where they can continue with their med support instead. Um, those are usually our higher functioning clients that we get into the program. Um, even with the graduation uh, criteria, as I mentioned yesterday, majority of our clients, and as you can see for the reasons to why you would extend a client, most of our clients are extended at least past the initial six months to, so they are in our program for at least a year, some are in even longer. Um, so asking for a six month window and not seeing like hospitalization, incarceration or police contact or even med compliance is usually um, pretty easy to obtain when they've been in the program past that initial period. Um, although we are a six month increment program, we actually technically do not have a time frame in which we need to let go of the clients. So we have had some clients who have been in the program for two years of, I believe three and a half, actually, you know, I'm just talking about a case recently who was actually hitting four years. He pretty much has been in our program almost through our entire existence. Um, but majority might be, I would say majority is about probably 18 months is probably the majority in which people are in AOT. 12 months to 18 months is probably the majority um, of the window. So reasons for disenrollment, um, again, that they've graduated from AOT, basically this, they're ready to move on down to the next level of care. And as I mentioned yesterday, um, we're gonna kind of have to rethink about what is the next level of care if FSP is now gonna be all on the same playing field. Um, we, we need to relook at the idea of what's the next level of care. Um, they have, unfortunately, they passed away. They were detained, so uh, arrested. They're in some residential or care or they have been conserved, unable to locate. They moved out of the county. Um, discontinued is a phrase part of the disenrollment form. And so um, this is not an option we, we choose very lightly or that is even a typical option. So moved out of the county, unable to locate in residential care or conserved, detained, deceased, or that they graduated from the program, which is a, they met the treatment, um, they meant the treatment goes, um, are all our common reasons to disenroll a client with the AOT committee's approval. Again, you need to get the committee's approval before you close any case. 
um, and the approval might not always be given to you on your first request. So this form is the disenrollment form that you guys are familiar to, but it's slightly different. We revamped it um, for AOT and it might look different when the transform, we might go, have to go back to what is your guys's form, um, but currently it's revamped because there's only one approval that is needed. It only needs to go through one hand, um, unlike where you guys had, I, I believe, uh, two or three signatures. Um, so discontinue is one of the options here, which is a client decide to discontinue food service partnership participation. That option at this time is only chosen typically when um, we have petitioned a client and the petition was not granted to us, um, or we have petitioned a client and we allowed it to run its course of six months and the client unfortunately was not engageable and we let the petition terminate and we, we are gonna close the case as saying we've done everything we can as I discussed a few minutes ago. That is when we use that option. Otherwise that option is, is not, um, actually there's one more. The other time we will use it is um, clients been in treatment with you guys for some time, becomes non-compliant. They, um, you ask to see about the petition. We determine that in reality, the client is um, not really deteriorating that we can possibly petition them. So you guys have an opportunity to, to try a little longer with them or, or we allow it to close knowing that we cannot petition at that point anymore um, because we don't fully have the criteria and the client is telling you guys, no, they don't want your service anyways. So um, that is the third time that we will, you would choose that possible option of discontinuation. The target population, um, Criteria not being met, which is the first option, is actually we have we never use that option within the AOT program, um, and we don't use that option because again, every client is going to meet AOT criteria when you guys have the client. We are never cl closing the case, with the exception of what I just said about um, trying to do a petition and identify no deterioration. We are never closing a case because a client does not meet our criteria. Um, even if the client has been in treatment for a year, 18 months, and they, um, their hospitalizations are outside a 36 month window when that 18 month comes, we are not closing those cases due to not meeting the criteria. So that option is really off the table as it relates to us closing cases. So um, in regards to disenrollment guidelines, um, again, the provider is to complete a disenrollment request form and submit it to the AOT FSB coordinator. Um, if you are stepping the clients down due to them meeting um, due to them meeting their treatment goals and being ready to graduate from the program, you want to provide a summary of treatment in a letter format. You're identifying how the client is doing their progress towards the treatment and the lack of hospitalizations, incarcerations, or police contact or crisis. Um, and what the plan is, what you don't need to specifically identify the next provider, but what is the plan? So like right now, how our plan typically is to go to FSP where we indicate um, the next plan is to have the client um, referred back to our own agency's adult FSP or TAFSP program, or we'll need a new 
um, adult FSP program because we don't have one, but that would be the next step. So you want to identify what the plan is that you guys are thinking about the next step of services for the client and provide a copy of the client CCP. That is all emailed to the AOT FSP coordinator who then reviews it and will take it to the referral review committee for approval. Um, the AOT FSP coordinator will email back the provider with the recommendations of the committee, which is either an approval or a few more things might need to be done by the provider before that approval will be given. Um, if it's approved, then the provider does move forward with whatever plan they had put into place. Um, everything out, uh, outside of stepping the client down, that's pretty easy. You kind of just return back to the SRTS um, and disenroll the clients. But for the stepping down, then you need to start making the arrangements to link the client to the next agency or the next program within your agency. Um, the client is to remain in the AOT program until the client has been enrolled with the next level of services. Um, we want to make sure that there's no gap in between the client's treatment. So the provider needs to stay on board until the client can actually get linked. This typically always works. We do have sometimes where client starts to um, disengage because maybe the outreach by the next provider uh, is taking quite a while and clients just like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to continue. So things kind of change. All the provider needs to, all our providers and AOT needs to do is bring it back um, to the AOT FSB coordinator to discuss what the next steps would be and then to kind of change paperwork if we need to change paperwork around and bring it back to the committee. So this is a sample letter for those who want to graduate their clients. Um, kind of already mentioned, you know, we want to talk about compliance with treatment, their progress towards their treatment, identify that there's the lack of hospitalization, incarceration, deterioration over the six months, um, progress towards stabilization of their mental health, or their insight, their gaining of insight towards their mental health, and then the plan for ongoing treatment. So higher level of care, um, as I had discussed um, yesterday, outside of FSP, we also have enriched residential service facilities. That is a higher level care than FSP. We have 60 slots with three agencies, four sites that we're able to utilize. Um, ERS facilities are designed to provide supportive on-site mental health services with recovery-based intensive and supportive services and community housing. They are licensed facilities. They have 24-7 capacity for emergencies and specialized programming. They have licensed mental health professionals, mental health workers, certified drug and alcohol counselors, family and peer support advocates as part of their staffing. Um, the program targets those individuals who require on-site mental health and supportive services to transition to stable community placement and prepare for more independent community living. Um, the individual must have a primary diagnosis of a serious and persistent mental illness. They must not require treatment in a locked setting. They must be stable if being discharged from the hospital to the ERS. Uh, they must require the intensity of services provided by this level of care. There are some restrictions and this program is voluntary. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more um, on the last three notes I, I talked about. So they must require an ERS level of care um, to, to be considered for the program. And 
as my counterparts that I work with, um, with ICD, they like to kind of say it is like, if you had a client in a boarding care and they need more 24 seven monitoring to ensure that they're taking care of their daily activities, um, doing what they need to do um, because they're lacking that ability to do it due to their mental health. These are the type of individuals that could go into an ERS. It's not for an individual who is greatly disabled or who is medically compromised. Those individuals do not fall into this level of care, um, but it's more for those people who, um, due to their illness, you know, they're struggling in um, dressing themselves or making sure they're eating every day, that they're, they're handling things that they need to handle, they're having trouble and they need that more monitoring or to make sure that they're, you know, they're taking their meds every day. It's not that they're not compliant with their meds, but maybe they're forgetful and they don't take them. So it, it's meant for that type of individual. Um, in regards to restrictions, we do have restrictions as these are licensed facilities. And so there are several restrictions for us putting clients into these facilities. Um, some just offhand is that they cannot be a registered sex offender. They cannot have a history of fire setting. Um, the, the medical, they cannot have some severe medical issues, um, which makes it complicated. So for our four sites, uh, diabetes is, is an issue. Um, if they need insulin and they need to take insulin and are not able to do the insulin on their own, they would not qualify for the four sites that we utilize. Um, also, a person who is unable to walk on their own, um, who might be bound to a wheelchair, um, will not be able will not be able to go into the four sites that we work with. Um, other more severe medical conditions also will restrict them from being at any of the four sites that we work with. Um, it is a voluntary, as well as. Um, aggressive or violent behavior. That one's a little tricky. So we don't just, we don't just, um, we don't, ref the referral is not refused because of that from the get-go, but it could lead to a refusal um, depending on when the violence and um, the violence or aggressive behavior occurred and what it was. So usually the ERS is want 30 days with no incident if one has recently occurred depending on the severity of what the incident was, who it was with, um, what had occurred, they may tell us no, even if it's been more than 30 days, or if there's a recurring history of it, they may tell us no because of the client's ongoing behavior. But if it was maybe a one-time incident, um, it, what the factors were, and if 30 days have passed with no incident, they, they will consider it and they may actually tell us yes. Um, it is a voluntary program. So unlike FSP, where you guys cannot turn away a referral, ERSs can decline a referral. Um, they will get the referral. They do have to go out and interview the individual no matter what. But in review of the client's records and in, re and in their engagement with the client during the interview, they do make a decision to whether or not the client can um, participate in the program and part of that decision is based off of the client's willingness to participate in the program. One of the questions that are going to be asked for every single client they interview is, are they willing to participate and adhere to their, their restrictions, their rules, and are they going to participate in their program? If the client tells them no, we're pretty much done with that referral. 
um, they're not going to accept them. So the client has the ability to say no, even if they are court ordered through AOT, they still have the ability to say no when it comes to an ERS. Um, and if they do say no, the client will not be accepted. Another one that's often the occurrence if the client has somewhat of a severe, um, well, I guess more than a recreational use of any form of drug, um, including marijuana, they are going to ask them if they're willing to stop their use or are they willing to work on it? And if the clients tell them no, that's another one that's gonna kind of gonna make that referral go away and become a no. Um, as well as medication, if um, they need to be they need to be willing to take their medication and be agreeable to take their meds and they should be stable, as I indicated earlier, to go into the ERS. But if they're saying they don't want meds and they're not going to comply, that's the third reason that we know that they're going to tell us no as it relates to the ERS referrals. So the referral process for ERS, um, when the clients are connected to an FSP or an AOT FSP, is to consult with the AOT FSP coordinator regarding wanting to make a referral for AOT ERS. In the discussion, we'll kind of talk about, you know, everything I just mentioned, you know, does any of that exist? What is the, what is the client's take? Is the client willing to go to one of these facilities? Have, have you guys talked about it? So we'll have a conversation to figure out if we really should make this ERS referral. Um, if we determine that, you know, it sounds like appropriate and we should, then what I will need from you guys is a packet um, with several documentations so that, uh, so I can refer um, so that I can make the ERS referral. I am typically the one who makes the ERS referral to ICD. Um, an email will be sent from the AOT ERS coordinator that the referral is being made to whichever one of our agencies. Lately, as of lately, um, we usually make the referral to all of the agencies unless they do not have um, the ability to take on any new referrals at that moment that the referral is being made. Or um, the other exception is that one of our facilities is only males. So if it's a female, only three of the providers will get that referral. Um, so a referral will go out to the ERS agencies as well as to the FSP provider, to myself and then the coordinators for ICD to indicate that this referral is being made. Um, the providers will need to connect with each other, consult about the case, and set up a time in which an interview can be done with the client, the ERS provider, and the FSP. So if a referral is made to all three or four ERSs, the provider will need to set up three or four different interviews because they're all going to be done separately. Um, the ERS provider will complete the interview, and then typically within two to three days, the ERS provides us with provides ICD with the notification of they're accepting or declining a referral and the reasons for their decline. We are then updated with what the decision was made. Um, if the client is accepted, arrangements will be need, will need to be made with the provide with the FSP provider and the ERS regarding the admittance date and getting the client transported to the facility. Um, the FSP provider will continue to provide services with the to the client and the client will remain enrolled in FSP until the client has physically arrived at the ERS and is admitted. We have a countless number of times when clients have arrived to the ERS and never get admitted because they take off as soon as they get there or they tell them no and they change their minds. So 
FSPs typically will, I, what we have been doing is that FSPs actually stay on board for about a week just to ensure that these clients do not AWAR take off um, during that initial week. Um, because if they do, then these clients are going to come right back to FSP on an AOT level. So the ERS referral packet that the providers will need to put together um, if we deem that the referral may be appropriate is uh, a face sheet, medical history, and a physical, which we um, some people refer to as an H&P. This does not need to be given at the moment of the referral packet, but it will need to be done if the client is going to be admitted into the ERS. Um, the HMP is actually a document from a doctor from the hospital. So if the client has not had a physical, you guys will need to assist in making sure the client gets a physical um, in order for the client to even be accepted into the ERS, be admitted into the ERS. Um, so usually it works well if the client is in jail or in the hospital, because we can get those documents from them and you know, could get over to the ERS. We need, um, at the initial referral packet, we do need the psychosocial history, including the AIA, uh, making sure that the psychiatric evaluation has a diagnose, um, progress notes and any medication list from the provider. Um, we do need a PPD or a chest x-ray result within the past year. This is another one that does not need to be given with the referral packet, but it will need to be obtained and will need to be negative for the client to be admitted into the ERS if the client and the ERS was willing to accept the client. A minimum of 14 days of interdisciplinary progress notes and a minimum of 14 days of psychiatrist progress notes. Um, Definitely need the interdisciplinary progress notes, the psychiatrist notes. We want a minimum of 14 days, but sometimes, unfortunately, the client ha actually hasn't really even seen your psychiatrist or never saw or hasn't really seen. So um, we can go with less than 14 if, if that's not what you guys have. We need their forensic history, which I hopefully is identified in the AIA. Um, we need to under know if they are a registered sex offender status. Uh, again, if they are, the, the referral is not going to be accepted. Um, and because of COVID, we do have a new process. So um, all four ERSs have implemented their own aspect as it relates to COVID and, and uh, identifying if the client has tested positive or currently testing positive for COVID. So. Um, majority of them are all asking for either the client to have been tested or for them to have completed a screening as it relates to COVID and there's some forms that need to be filled out by doctors. Um, I believe one of them are asking for, one or two are asking for temperature checks like three times a day uh, for several days um, and possibly even a medical clearance. So with COVID, um, prior to COVID, we were able to get clients from their homes um, and put them into ERSs. Right now, due to COVID and hopefully eventually it may change back, um, most of the admins for individuals who are going to go into ERS needs to be coming from the hospital, from jail, or from CRTP, a crisis residential treatment program for those of you who might not know what that is. Um, they need to be coming from somewhere where basically they're kind of, they're, they're secure. So they're being monitored as it relates to even COVID, they, they've been tested, and um, 
who they're interacting with, everybody knows, so, so we know that they're not at risk of, of exposure again to COVID. So unfortunately, um, with COVID, it has put some restrictions on us in getting clients to ERS as we're no longer to do, able to do it like from their homes or their place of residence, like if they were in boarding cares. Um, but um, we're now having to do it either from a hospital, jail, or CRTPs. Um, as well as that makes it easier for you guys to get these different things that they're asking for, such as tests and screenings. Um, if the client is hospitalized when the ERS referral is made out to the providers, we will also need, um, made to the ICD actually, we'll also need additional documentation as it relates to the client being in the hospital. Um, we do need their medication and administration sheets, including PRN sheets. We need their current labs, x-rays and drug screen. Again, the x-ray is related to the TB test. Um, we need their documentation as it relates to them having to restrain or seclusion, seclusion of the client. And we need their progress notes. So these are things that you can, um, most if they're in a county facility and, and you tell them you're making an ERS referral, they know that they, can hand a, they need to hand over these packets. They can hand them straight to you and, and you provide it to me when we make the referral or they send it over to the ICD liaison themselves. Um, ERS, although hospitals can refer clients for ERS in general, when it comes to an AOT client, the referral needs to come from AOT. What the ICD liaison would do is identify that the client is AOT and indicate to me, hey, someone made a referral on your client, I'm gonna disregard it. Do you guys wanna make a referral? So um, whenever you are talking to hospitals and they're talking about, we think this client needs to be an ERS, you need to make sure that if you agree with that and you believe client is going to be agreeable, you need to indicate that you're going to make the referral. It needs to come from us because client is AOT. Um, so measures. Um, you guys all have outcome measures, application OMAs. Uh, you do them for every FSP client you have enrolled. And the same goes for AOT. Every client who is enrolled in our FST, FSP program will need, also need to have um, OMAs completed. The only thing I wanna talk about as it relates to OMA, just to bring to your attention, um, is the program name. We do specifically have our own name within OMAs. It's AOTLA FSP. Please make sure when you start to work with any of our clients, you guys are identifying the correct program. And then again, the group name always falls within the age group of the clients, Tay, adult or older adult. Um, this is a common mistake, especially, for those agencies who have like a um, data entry type of person who enters in their OMAs or a unit that does all their OMAs for them for entry, they often put the age group instead. So for, for the program and putting TAE, adult or older adult. Um, so this is even an issue as it relates to our current providers who have been working with us for a while because um, they're, they're the unit who does the entry often forgets that they should be indicating the ALT as the program. Um, so just a reminder on that, we do have our own name within OMAs. So the ALT program has some additional measures that you will need to do for all enrolled clients and these measures are mandatory. Um, we have four that need to be completed. They have different um, intervals into which they need to be completed while the client remains enrolled in ALT. Um, so these are just the names monthly reporting to, we call it MRT, the Monoma Community Ability Scale, which is the MCAS, 
an AOT client self-report survey, and a clinician-rated client treatment goals measures survey. So the monthly reporting to MRT, MRT is completed monthly. It is a combined uh, PDF form that has the MRT and MCAS on it together. Um, you do need to complete that specific PDF form because it assists with the entry of data for us. Um, indicated on the form, uh, I'm sorry. I'll get to that next point in a second. Um, all the, the measure will need to be emailed to the email address on here, aotlaoe at dmh.lacounty.gov by the first week of the following month. So if you're completing this, the report for May, it needs to be turned in the first week of June um, to that email address. This is what the MRT looks like. It is two pages. Um, each year we do need to update it with the, the year, the appropriate year. So right now um, it does say 2020 on there for each month. Um, it asks us for the client's information for program status, which is, is the client court ordered? Are they in voluntary set, are they a voluntary settlement agreement or are they a voluntary treatment plan? Um, to describe those for you guys now, court ordered means that the client was um, the client's petition was sustained, and if you recall, that means that people had to testify in order for the judge to make a ruling. The voluntary settlement agreement means that the court order was granted based on the client agreeing to participate in the program and signing what we call a voluntary settlement agreement. The voluntary treatment plan is for the other category of our clients who are voluntary who never needed to be court ordered. Now, when you do this each month, that program status may change if the client status changes between voluntary settlement agreement and court ordered. Um, authorized admin date, which is your enrollment date, and an authorized graduation discharge date. That is to be left blank until the last MRT you turn in for when client is disenrolling from the program or graduated from the program. Um, there are 21 questions kind of related to clients, uh, clients interaction as it relates to appointments, if there's been any victimization, arrest, hospitalizations, employment, um, suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation, violent behavior, uh, adherence to medication. I think that's kind of the legit. Um, in regards to the highlighted number two, three, four, and five, th these are all about appointments. So they actually total up. So three through five will total up in number two. Um, number two is going to be the sum of all appointments, but you have the categories of appointments canceled, appointments kept, and appointments missed by the client. And those three will sum up the total that is in number two. Um, this needs to be completed every month, no matter if you did or did not have contact with the client. Um, so sometimes maybe in a month, maybe the client was hospitalized an entire month. You, kind of, you lost track of the client for that month. Um, the client was incarcerated during that month. You still need to complete this form. So again, you're going to be able to do the top. You might even be able to do the appointments if you had any of the, any appointment actually scheduled during that window. And then depending on why client is missing, you will be able to answer a few of these questions. So um, 
question one and 11 is able to be answered if the client is incarcerated. One, 14 and 15 will be able to be answered if the client is hospitalized. And then at the bottom of page two, missing data fields, missing items, you need to indicate which questions were not answered and the reason why. If it's a sum because client is missing, you haven't been able to locate them, you know, one through 21, client hasn't been able to be located. Um, or, you know, one through, one through 10 and you know 12 to 21 wasn't answered because client was incarcerated so that it's simple to fill out um but it does need to be done every month no matter if the client was seen that month or not seen by you guys as long as the client remain as long as the client is enrolled and needs to be completed the mcas uh is also completed monthly and as i mentioned it is um on a combined PDF form that, that with the MRT. This document, this, sorry, this scale is based on the client's current functioning at the time of completion. The goal is to see the change in client's functioning throughout time and treatment. Um, so uh, what we need you guys to do is every month to refill it out. Please do not send in the same one you turned in the month before make sure you are going through each question and, and reevaluating if there has been any changes in the client's functioning and answer the question as it fits for that past 30, 31 days. Um, this also, because it's attached to the MRT, will be emailed to the AOTLA OE email address and it needs to be submitted the first week of the following month. So again, if it was done for May, it needs to be turned in the first week of June. The, M the MCAS is also two pages. Um, important, again, it's about the social functioning. So it's about the client, um, not social functioning, it's about the client's functioning. So it addresses that there's five questions about the client's health. There are three questions about the client's adaption, uh, five questions about social skills, and there are four questions about the client's behavior. And it, it, it based off of your answers there's a there's a total score to identify how the client's function is um one thing to note is on page one is identifying where the client is in treatment to what the mcas is being filled out for so we have admit that's only going to be completed once the first month you're completing it following your enrollment this will need to be done um, treatment planning will be the entire time in which the client is with your agency in treatment after the first one and before the last one that will be submitted for the client. Graduated AOT, this will be when you discharge the client, um, the final one you do if the client is graduating. Uh, discharge, DCHOC, which is discharge to higher level care. So if by chance um, you're closing them out because they went to ERS or they were conserved, um, you're going to choose that as the reason for this final um, MCAS that's being filled out. And then discharge will be for all other reasons outside of graduating or higher level care. Client went missing, client was incarcerated, they went to a, a residential-like care, so maybe like a, a skilled nursing facility or, or the boarding care they're at, they're going to... Um, they're getting all their treatment. So, you know, an FSP isn't needed because they're providing it there. So if they went to any other reason that they may have been discharged, and I, um, unable to locate if I didn't mention it, you would choose the discharge as a reason for that final report. The client survey report, um, client self-report survey 
is to be completed by the client, but staff can assist the client in completing it. You would, you can read the questions for them and let them answer. You may, um, and you may be the one marking up the answers for them as you read it to them, or you know they're reading and tell you telling you which one to choose. You can assist them in completing it, but it does need to be done by them. There are twelve languages in which that um, form comes in. And these are the languages: so English, Arabic, Armenian, Cambodian, Cantonese, Farsi, Korean, Mandarin, Russian, Spanish, Tagalog, and Vietnamese. Um, you guys always have access to the English version. If you may need one of the other versions, just reach out and we will send it over to you. Um, at three months intervals is when this survey needs to be done. So after enrollment, three months later, this will need to be done. Six months later, nine months later, 12 months later, if you extend the client and so on. Um, so it's done every three months after enrollment. You complete the survey as closely to as the reason, reasonable specific time frame in which it was supposed to be done. If the survey is early or late, still do the next survey at the scheduled time. So say you maybe maybe you get it done at four months instead. You're still going to do it at six months. You're not pushing it back a month. If you rarely see a client, you want to make um, make sense. You want to be able to maybe um, set up a plan so that you can see the get the client to do it because you know you might not be able to get them to do it within the window. And again, this gets emailed to the same address as the MRT and MCAS, and it is also due the first week of the following month. Um, oh yes, that's what I wanted to say. So the MRT and the MCAS, just to go back to that, um, the other two documents real quick. If the client was enrolled, say, say right now, September 24th, they got enrolled. Um, I do not expect that you are going to do an MRT and MCAS to have it in the first week of October. You only have the client, you know, for a few days in September, and you probably maybe only saw them actually once on that on the 24th, you know, and, and won't see them again until October. Um, so we do, if it's like the last 10 days of the month, we don't expect for you guys to have to turn in the MRT and the MCAS submit it at the next interval where you actually have like now a 40 some day window. Um, but the, the client self report survey, it is done after the initial, after enrollment three months later. So there's no reason that one should not be able to get in on a timely matter. So this is what the client self report survey looks like. Um, Again, it does come in 12 languages, but you guys are given the English version. And if you need one of the others, then we will provide it to you. Um, please note on page one, the last one says reason not completed for applicable. So this should be completed and turned in at each interval. But if by some chance, if client refused to do it, then right there in that section, you're going to indicate that the client declined to do it or maybe um, you know, again, client's been missing for the past month, so it wasn't completed, whatever might be the reason that it was not done, you want to indicate it right there. This is just asking, the first page is just general information about the client, so you probably more likely can fill it out yourself for them if you want, but then uh, starting on page two is all the questions in which the client will answer and how they feel about the ALT program. Um, which is more about you guys as a provider, how they feel, how they feel the services are going, if it's helping them or not. And this is actually four pages that they are going to have to complete. Um, the last 
one is the clinician rated client treatment goals measure. Um, this is to be completed by the client's treatment staff and is done at six month intervals. So um, six months after enrollment, 12 months if they're extended and so on until they are discharged. This gets emailed to the same email address and again is due the first week of the following month in which it was done. This is three pages. Um, the top of the first page is just general client information. And then the rest are questions um, regarding the client's, the client's treatment. Uh, page three looks exactly like page two. Um, it's just an open space for you as it relates to the client's goals. So actually, I'm sorry. So one is uh, survey information. So regarding the client, um, you know, the agency and enrollment dates. Section two is uh, family involvement. Section C is um, frequency of medication management. And then the section D is treatment goals. And there's, you're given two pages to provide any treatment goals of the client. And so this should always be filled out. There is no reason why the, cl the clinical staff cannot fill this one out. So today is a very early day. We got through the material that was meant for today. Um, there is still day three, which is next Wednesday, where we will go over a little bit more information as it pertains to the petition and if you um, making the recommendations to whether the client should be, the petition should be terminated as the termination date has, the right, um, has approached or if we should extend the petition, um, how you make justification for those different reasons, um, what paperwork needs to be completed, how to um, complete a declaration, how to complete progress reports and what's expected in the progress reports. Um, and about testimony, if you are testifying. Um, so those are the topics we will be talking about in day three and giving some practice to. Are there any questions related to any of the material you guys have um, received in the past two days and, and the new material that was just given right now? Um, I know it's a lot of information and uh, trust me, it, it takes a while to learn it and it's actually, you start getting the hang of it and understanding it when you are able to put it into practice, it'll become um, much more easier for you to kind of understand the different steps and, and how the program works once you get your first case and kind of start working on it. But um, any questions you might have right now, I would like to answer and then if not, as in the future, you can always reach out to me. Um, and I'll answer any questions you guys have. So there are a couple of questions. One is, and I couldn't remember, are these, filling out these forms, are they billable? Is it billable time? I can't remember the answer to that question. I would think it is, because some of it is assessment and client satisfaction, but I'm, but I'm not the authority on is it billable or not. So I think mm -hmm. we'll need to check on that. Yeah. And, and then we will send out the um, the tools, right? We'll send out the MCAST and stuff to folks as they get the AOT clients or we can do it beforehand. Yeah, we can we can send it out. Um, we'll send it out as well as um, so every uh, at the end of every month, I believe maybe a week and a half before the month ends. Our staff assistant sends out an email yeah. to all providers, um, reminding them that the reports are due. And I believe he actually attaches these reports to there so you guys have easy access to them again. 
Now, what he can also do is, um, and it's included on the email, is that if you need to run a check on which clients actually need the reports, um, he will send you that list, but you need to request it um, each time you might want that list. So just in case maybe a client was, um, maybe you fell behind or something and you're not too sure which client you actually had enrolled during that period, if you need to do it, he can get you the list of, of what needed to be done. And there is no AOT OMA. It's just the regular OMA that people it, fill out. Yeah, There's it's no. yeah, it's yeah. the regular OMAs. Um, so all, everything that pertains to OMAs, you still need to do as it relates to FSP. It was just the indication that um, we have our own program name in the system. And so you want to make sure you choose AOT so you get credit for having an AOT client and not listing it under adult or TAY or older adult instead. Those are all the questions. Yeah. Well, thank you guys, everyone. And um, we'll see you, I guess, next Wednesday for the last part of the training. I'm in a little bit hands-on experience in um, practicing our progs report writing and maybe even some of the declaration writing. So look forward to next week. Thank you.